KYW News Radio Original Podcasts. It's just a good conversation with somebody that you didn't know you were interested in. I'm Matt Leon, and this is One on One. Schuylkill River is unique. The stretch that we row on is only for rowing. You're there with hundreds of other rowers who have the same passion for the sport that you love. And I really enjoy every single day being out on the water, coming back from practice, seeing the art museum and the skyline, and sometimes the sunrise. That's an office you can't cheat. And our guest this week, Nikhil Bartman. He is the new head women's rowing coach at Division II Thomas Jefferson University. And Nikhil, first thing, thanks for taking the time to do this. Yeah, no, glad that you have me here. I'm excited about this opportunity. So let's start by talking. You're kind of waist deep in fall races now. What is kind of, for people that aren't familiar, I guess, let's start with this. How does a college rowing season breakdown obviously you've got races here in the fall and you'll have races in the spring but is it considered two separate seasons is it all considered one how does it work no you're right it's two separate seasons the fall typically is like long distance we train long distance so we try to get a lot of a lot of mileage in 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 our practices and based on that we do uh, fall racing which is a, a three mile race so anywhere between like 15 to 20 minutes, that's going to be our racing. We end the fall training around Thanksgiving um, because then they're getting ready for their uh, final exams of the first semester. And then when we come back, then we start with our spring season. And the spring season is always uh, two kilometers racing. So that's that's the Olympic distance, as they call it. And, and that's the, what we focus on the whole season. Now you came on board, no pun intended, at Jefferson in uh, like early September. So you really kind of jumped right in. How challenging is it to to take over a program and then you're, you know, going smack into competition? And I guess you had to do a lot of the things as far as getting to know the kids and familiarizing yourself with Jefferson at the same time you're preparing for some big competitions. Actually, it was uh, when I had my interview and they took me to position, I actually had to say like, well, next week I'm leaving for two weeks to coach a crew, a U.S. crew at the World Rowing Championships in uh, Prague. And they were like, okay. So that was right out of the way. And I was happy about that. But I came back and I really just started coaching the team at the end of September. So I missed a big part of September. And I only had, say, a couple of weeks to start to know the rowers uh, and, and right away start selection for the first couple of races. Luckily, my assistant, Jeff Cutler, who has been with the program for 10 years now, he, he did a, a great job already leading the practices when I was away. But I had to jump in full force. And uh, it was challenging, but not the first time I have done this. So I spent a lot of hours on the day getting to know the rowers. I had a lot of like uh, one-on-ones with them just to get to know them better, uh, see how they think, how they respond to questions. So I also know a little bit better how to coach them. So yeah, definitely first uh, couple intense weeks. Once again, for people that are listening that maybe aren't familiar with the world of rowing, can you kind of just give us a quick primer on the different spots in the boat and what their role is in a race? Yeah. So 
the main boats that people know is called the eight, but it's actually a boat that has nine people in there. The ninth person is usually the coxswain, very important part of the of the team because she will cox the boat in terms of the directions that the boat needs to go, especially in the fall races that we have right now. There are a lot of turns in those races, so she has to steer the boat and also give the commands to the rowers. And then you have eight rowers in the boat. And the, the funny part about rowing is that the rowers are facing backwards, so they don't see where they're going. So it's very important that they have the cocks in there because those are the eyes in the boat. If you look at, say, the bow of the boat, um, we call that person who sits closest to the bow, also kind of like the bow seat or seat number one. And then we make our way down to seat number eight, and that seat we call the stroke seat. And that's a person that is technically very rhythmical and consistent so that the people behind the stroke seat can follow. The seventh seat, the person who's sitting behind the stroke seat, is typically a person who is a little bit stronger, um, also rhythmical and consistent in the technique, and can kind of like communicate with the stroke seat how to optimize the run of the boat. Then we get to like what we call the midship, the powerhouse. Typically you have the strongest rowers sitting there. Not always the case, but definitely the, the ones that can deliver power. And then in the bow seat, uh, so the first two seats, uh, you have the more technical persons. Because you got to realize, say, that an eight overall is 55 feet long. So it's a very long boat and the distance between the stroke seat and the bow seat is, is close to like 35 feet. And you got to make sure that like with the distance that you have, that you still operate as one unit. Uh, the, the boat has to row in unison. So the boat go in and out at the same time. And that's a challenge that we have as operating as a, as a boat, as a team, is to fine tune the motions of eight people together. I like to explain rowing kind of like say you have eight golfers teeing off they have to do that together each swing and then they have to repeat that for the duration of the race or the practice that's kind of like how i see rowing in in more easier terms explained how interchangeable are the positions do you move around or does once a, a rower once they kind of establish themselves at a particular seat in the boat that's kind of where they are unless circumstances, you know, absence or something like that dictate. Do you stay where you are? In, in the beginning, certainly not. No, you, you move people around because if you, you try to work, you start from the stroke seat. So if a person you feel like has a steady rhythm, that's kind of like that you use as a base. And then you start to look at, okay, you know, how does a person gel with another one? Uh, because they could be technically very sound, but they might still have technically not the same way of moving together. So it's kind of like dancing together, right? If you have somebody who uh, is just a little bit offbeat, still a, a nice dancer, good dancer, but they are not really gelling together, then it's not going to optimize the run of the boat. So for me, if I look at that, I try it out and then I see, uh, you know, maybe it's not the, the right combination then I'm going to switch people around. So that's a whole whole process that takes a good amount of time. For the fall, I feel like it's 
not super as important as for the spring because the spring is way more intense. Those races are shorter and it's a, you got to take your time to really select the people for the right boat, but also the seats. And that is, is very time consuming. From a recruiting standpoint, kind of putting your boat together, putting your program together, are there certain seats that are harder to find people that excel at than others? Because, you know, in other sports, it's tough to find a quarterback. It, in hockey, can be tough to find a goalie. There are certain positions that you maybe have to work harder for. You put more resources into developing. Are there, in rowing, are there certain seats that are tougher to recruit uh, than others? Yeah, no, you, you, you mentioned, say, finding the right quarterback. I, I deal with the same thing. I'm looking for like a, a strong stroke seat. Not that that is necessarily the leader in the team, but it's a very important person to have in the boat. And, and it's not for everybody. And uh, it's, it's physically more demanding. Science has shown say, that like a person in the stroke seat does somewhere between 10 and 20% more than other persons in the, in the rest of the boat. So you need a physically strong person. And then you need also somebody who has the right package, you know, mentally strong, physically strong, rhythmical, also consistent. Because like if that person is injured a lot or is sick a lot, then it takes away the base from the from the eight. So it, it's a I would say that that's definitely the hardest person to find. Let's talk a little bit about your journey. You are from the Netherlands, correct? Yes, I am. Was rowing always a part of your life growing up? And how did you get introduced to the sport? Well, you know, I, maybe I'll ruffle, ruffle some feathers here, but I call football football, right? Uh, I make a difference between American football and football. Uh, in the rest of the world, football is the, what we know here in America as soccer. I played that as a young kid. I also played some tennis. My mom actually introduced me to rowing. I, I wasn't really familiar with the sport. And, and also in my first couple lessons, I didn't really like it. And I came back on a Sunday morning. You know, I bike to practice. Uh, my, my parents just said, okay, you know, you go on your bike to, uh, to practice. I came back and I said, I want to quit. And they said, well, no, we paid the, the membership fee for the whole year. So start to learn a little bit better, more kind of like the skills of rowing. And when I was 14, 15, I started to row some races. And I was kind of like recruited to do the, the, the longer distance speed racing, as you would say. Then I took a year off because uh, I had to focus on school. Came back, and that was my last year of junior, as we call it, U19 uh, rowing. And then I actually started already coaching at my club. So I was really interested in rowing. At a certain point when I had a break, I was interested in playing baseball. I was uh, really close to joining the club there, but uh, I returned back to rowing, and, and I've always been like involved in rowing. Rowing is my life, basically. You mentioned, you know, you didn't like it at first. Do you remember when the switch flipped? Was there a, a lesson? Was there a race? Was there a moment where you're like, ah, you know what? I, I think I could get used to this. No, not really. No, um, I, I don't remember it. And I actually, when I, so I first really had to learn to row. So meaning uh, there were exams that I had to pass on my club. I had to show the skill before I could advance to an, another level. And I also remember that 
when I had to learn how to steer the boat, I bumped my nose. I, I was say asked to cox an eight and by older master rowers. And in the, in the first 1500 meters, we went from left to right and uh, we turned around. They, the guys said like, yeah, this is not going to work. And I was, I was bumped. I was really like, you know, so it's more that stuck with me was like, I'm bumping my nose and I want to prove myself that I can do it. So it's that lesson that that really stuck with me also later on when I was uh, in selection for for boats and I didn't make it. And then I would say, well, you know, if I don't make it, I will make it next time. So that that was for me more the lesson than that I had, say, a practice or a certain uh, different aha moments that I wanted to stick with it. It was more that than maybe it could have happened with a different sport but that's it turned out to be rowing and i definitely enjoyed say the outdoors part of the rowing and being with teammates and traveling um but for me personally it started to get more towards like if you say no to me you can't do that then i will show you i can during these years where you're you're rowing more and more and it's becoming such a big part of your life you end up you know, competing in three Olympics. When does it cross from you're enjoying the competition and you're enjoying proving yourself to you're competing at an elite level, the elitist of the elite level? Like, was it just kind of a natural progression? Well, I'll try out for this. Well, I'll try, I got picked for this. And well, I got picked for this. And then you kind of, not that you just kind of look around and go, oh my God, I've got a chance to make the Olympics. Was it pr- this natural progression or was it this one opportunity came, you took advantage of it and the rest, it kind of unlocked the, you know, the door for, for all these wonderful opportunities? It, it is actually a combination. So in my freshman year in college, I took part of what they call now the U23, under 23 world championships. So you have to be a certain age. You can't, uh, in the year that you turn 22, that's the last year that you can can compete. With my club, a student rowing club in Amsterdam, we participated as the Dutch national boat for for that event. So that was my first exposure to be a national team member. But for me, that was just like a easy way to get into the uh, international racing. And you got to realize that the Netherlands is pretty small. So we, we do have our own national competition, but we also travel to Germany or to Great Britain for certain races. And I started to kind of like, like that, but in my senior year of college, we just had forms of four and it was also an Olympic year. And we were racing against crews who were going to the Olympics. We were not. And we realized that we were close to their speed. So as a boat, we said, like, if we step up our training, uh, so we train eight to nine times a week. And we said, well, if we're going to train 12 to 14 times a week, we probably can make it to the world championships. And we started doing that as a boat. And sure enough, you know, the following year, we went to our first world championship. We won like our first international medal at the at a prestigious uh, international regatta. So we had high hopes and um, uh, we didn't make the final, which was uh, a huge disappointment, but we 
won the B final, as we call it. So the second level. Uh, so we overall finished seventh. And then the following year, our goal was to win a world a medal at the world championships. And that was such a whirlwind. It was actually here in the United States, in Indianapolis. We had our race on a final race scheduled for Saturday, which was a windy, windy day. So our race first was postponed, delayed. And then we were told, okay, you know, this is your new starting time. We were at the starting blocks to get ready for our final. And then they said, no, it's too windy. Come back tomorrow morning. So we had our race, our final race at 8 a.m. We got up at 4 a.m. to get the body ready. And then we, uh, we raced the final. And the final is usually six boats. And all those boats finished within two and a half seconds at the finish line. And between first and fourth was a little bit over a second. So it was a very, very tight final, but we managed to, uh, to get the bronze medal. So that was for me, like that sealed the deal. You know, I was hooked and two years away from my first Olympics. So I started to train harder and set my eyes on making the eight, which I did the following year and then got a silver medal at the world championships. And then the Olympic year was a little tough because after I came back from the world championships, my dad, who was already diagnosed with cancer for several years, but he, he passed away. So in the midst of the Olympic training, I had to deal with the loss of my dad. And that took quite some time. Luckily, the, the selection wasn't that cutthroat that like, because I was stepped away a little bit that I lost my seat. So a couple months later, I came back more fit. I wasn't really away from the, the, the boat, but I was just mentally not capable of doing the selection. And when I got back in the boat, we had the final lineup for the eight for the Olympics. And, and then we got the machine rolling. It was an incredible hard year in terms of the amount of work that we did. If I think back about, say, you know, sometimes we did 30 miles of rowing each day. Um, split it up in three workouts, but it was, we were winning every single race with a big margin. So the Olympic gold medal was just ours, you know, and that's what we also try to say to the competition. Like, you know, the best you can do is win silver. So we got to the Olympics in Atlanta in 96, and we just had a great tournament. We won our races pretty easily. And when I had that gold medal around my neck, I thought, okay, you know, this is what I want to do. So I want to see, even though I have already the gold, I want to see what I can do next. And so I switched to a different discipline in rowing. So in the eight is what we call sweep rowing. So you have one oar per person. And you also have a different discipline. It's technically different. It's called sculling. So then each rower has two oars. I made that switch. Wasn't the greatest four years. Say I, I won pretty much everything in, in, in the sweep rowing, in the eight. And in terms of medals, it was pretty dry. You know, I won here and there a race or got a medal. But then in uh, 99, we got our act together and we formed a quad, as you call it. So a four-person boat. We did well at the world championships in 99. And then in uh the year 2000, when the Olympics were in Sydney, we just started to 
gel better. We lined up every disagreement that we sometimes have uh, because we spent so much time together. And we had just had an awesome, awesome race. And that was like a silver medal. So I had two two Olympic medals. And I thought, okay, you know, I'm uh, getting into my early 30s. There's no money in rowing. Got to earn some money. And so I made a rational decision to stop. But the, yeah, what do you say? The heart, the belly said no. And I got back into the boats and added more four more years to it because that's how you think at that point you know you're not thinking in like oh one more year right you're thinking four more years also like not the not the best years i got another medal silver medal at uh, at the world championships but the qualification year so each year before the olympics you have to qualify the boats for the olympics at the world championships and with the dutch men boats that we had you know three at the world championships, none of our boats qualified for the Olympic Games. So the Federation said, okay, you know, like we're going to focus just on the eight. Everybody has to fight for a seat. And that's the way we went. So we had to jump through a couple of hoops in order to qualify with the last one, as we call it, the qualification regatta of death, because it's about eight weeks, six weeks before the Olympic Games. And that's your last last tryout that's the race that basically counts the most because you're training all year uh, 12 times a week for just that single race because if you don't make it there you're not going you're not going to the olympics so that was pretty intense and um luckily we won that race we went to the olympics and um one of the guys got a severe injury at our training camp, we had to make some switches, as we talked earlier, like uh, moving people around. And luckily, we had that possibility. And then we had in the final, again, the best race of the season. And that was another silver medal. So at that time, I knew, okay, you know, I'm done now. After three Olympics, three medals, I'm now getting like an older athlete, becoming like an older athlete. Now, now I know I'm done. We need to take a break on one-on-one. We will have more with Jefferson University head women's rowing coach, Mikhail Bartman, right after this. And we are back. Our guest this week on -on one-on-one is Jefferson University women's rowing coach, Mikhail Bartman. I'm curious, medals aside, three different Olympics in different countries. I think, was it Athens in 2004? Yes, correct. What was your favorite just experience? Kind of competition results aside, just the the actual Olympic experience. Did was there one that just stood out over the other ones? Mm, tough question. Tough question because you know each one has their own specific memories. I think the first one, not not just because it was the gold medal race, uh, but it was just the first Olympics, mm-hmm. and 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 had just the whole excitement of like you make the Olympic team. You're going on a on a on a trip. You get your Olympic kit. You know, like uh, you're wearing the uh, everything has the five rings on it. Once you arrive, it's just a whole different ball game. You know, the the, the whole surroundings of arriving at like the airport and and going from like a regular hotel to the Olympic Village. It's it's just a, a super exciting experience. And I think that that for me to realize that kind of like I made it to 
you know, the, the highest possible as, as a rower for me that I think, yeah, is the most memorable thing about making, making the team and making the Olympics of all three. As you're in the Olympic villages over these competitions, was there anybody you crossed paths with? So you had like a, Oh my gosh, I can't believe that's so-and-so, you know, and I'm here with them and we're both having breakfast. This is amazing. Was there anybody like that, that you crossed paths with that, that was just a, just a cool experience, even if it was just passing in a hallway? Uh, in terms of athletes, no. A, those Olympic dining halls uh, have the size of a football field. Mm-hmm. So it's huge. And you typically come in at times, say that like it's either pretty empty or... or uh, so every athlete, especially in the beginning, everybody's so focused on, on themselves is, is that I might have passed uh, certain great athletes, but I just didn't register. And in 04, I was the candidate for the athletes commission for the IOC. So I was, I was the, had the Dutch candidate for the IOC athletes commission. So I was kind of like campaigning in the in the dining hall and I ran into Prince Albert of Monaco. That was I think one of the most cool coolest experience that I had. But other than that, it, yeah, kind of like pretty pretty standard. You talked about after 04 third Olympics you're getting to be an older athlete. Were you able to I think there's one thing there's the decision that okay, I I can't do this anymore, but was there Still a pull, like, well, you know, maybe a year later, I'm kind of feeling pretty good, and maybe I can give it one more push. Or were once you kind of made the decision that you weren't going to compete at this level anymore, you were very, very comfortable with it? It was uh, actually a very surreal moment. I was, it, it weren't, say, the last last two years weren't the easiest ones. I still enjoyed the the working out and, and training with, with my friends and all that. But I got a little, say, sick and tired of the politics around the selection and, and have been in that scene for like 12 years. It, it just was the same. And, and, and it's a sad part of, of athletics that like you have the politics around it. So when, when we wrote back after I received, say, my, my third Olympic medal, we were rowing back to the, the docks and we got the boat out of the water. And you carry that above your head and then you roll it down into slings. And when I did that, when the boat hit the slings, put it on the ground, I was not lifting the boat anymore. I just felt from really like the top of my head flowing something out of my body. And it was such a calming and surreal moment that I knew, okay, you know, this is it. And a year later, as so. I had to figure out what I wanted to do. I had to figure out that I wanted to become a teacher. And through my friends and connections that I had here in the U.S., I learned about a coaching job here in Philadelphia at Vesper Boat Club. And I applied for that job, got it. So I, half a year after I stopped rowing, I, I moved as, as an immigrant, you know, two suitcases and my road bike. I left everything back home. I just brought a bunch of clothes and I started coaching here in Philadelphia. And my goal was to get athletes the same as I started um, to the world championships. 
So I qualified a boat right away my first year of coaching. And I was there in 05 at the World Championships. So I saw a lot of like former teammates or friends who were still competing. And they asked me the question, like, do you want to be in that boat? Like, do you want to compete? And I said, no. I, I really didn't feel the urgency like uh, I was missing out or anything like that. I was completely at peace with my decision that I made back in 04. And, and I was ready for something new and that, it, that I was able to teach and pass it on as a coach. For me, that was the perfect combination. As someone who competed at such a high level and succeeded at such a high level, is it difficult in a coaching role I am certain there are probably things that you got to the point where you were just able to do and it just was reflexive and they're incredibly difficult things to do, but you were at that level where it was just part of the deal. Is it hard to kind of step back, get into that coaching role and you know, you're teaching a talented young athlete, but they can't do something that comes incredibly easy to you. Is it difficult to, kind of put your expertise aside and understand that what they're trying to do is incredibly difficult. And just because they can't do it right away, doesn't mean they're not going to be able to do it. Like, is it hard to step outside yourself and kind of remember the level you were at? I guess this is when you were a young coach and accept that they're not going to be able to do certain things. Yep. Yeah, for sure. Uh, especially in my first two years at Vesper Boat Club, when I was, teaching young rowers, you know, they had a certain level and, and things that were definitely natural to me wasn't natural to them. And when I had say conversations with, you know, some of, some of those rowers are still very good friends of mine. So sometimes we, we chat back about that time. And I know that one rower said like, yeah, you were particularly tough on us. So I definitely had to make a transition from being an athlete to becoming a coach. But there was also a benefit to it. I also remember we had to do a practice where we practice starts, right? If you, if you are in, in a 2K, two-kilometer two season, sprint season, you're all six lined up at, at the start line, and you have to explode from the start. So you have to do a starting sequence, shorter strokes, longer strokes, maximize power and speed uh, as, as soon as you can. So we had a practice to to train that. And I saw my rowers coming out of the blocks, just not the speed that I was looking for. In a way, maybe it was, you know, I wasn't capable of really trying to point out what I wanted to say. So I said, okay, I go back to the club. I will get a a single out as a solo boat and I will show you. And it was the first time for several years that I had rowed that boat, because usually I was in bigger boats, but I showed them kind of like what was needed to have like a, a top level start. And when I showed that to them, you saw right away click for them. Oh, this is how it's done. And so, yeah, I had to make that transition from being an athlete to, to a coach, but I was also able to show them what was required for that level was i at that time maybe collegiate coach then probably wouldn't have worked but because i was working with aspiring elite athletes i think that that definitely helped and and 
over the years, I've learned how to channel, say, my higher level operations to the level of the athletes. But that was definitely a journey. You mentioned the Vesper Boat Club. You coached at Temple, now at Jefferson. It seems to me as an outsider that the Philadelphia is very unique with its rowing community. It's really special. Boathouse Row, it's really special. As someone who has traveled the world, competed at high levels, does Philadelphia feel special for you with regards to being part of that rowing community? Oh, yes, for sure. Uh, so my, my first experience with rowing in the United States was actually in Boston. Uh, I went to row the head of the Charles, and that's the largest two-day event, rowing event in the world. Thousands of athletes, hundreds of thousands of spectators, huge events. But I thought, all right, you know, here in Boston, rowing is pretty big. And I coached at Vesper. Then I went to Harvard University to coach there for five years. and Having, say, the Roan community in Philadelphia, then compared to Boston, I was like, hmm, yeah, Boston at the, at the time, it seemed big, but the Roan community in Philadelphia, that's where it's happening. And coming back to Philadelphia after several years, it, it, it really felt like home. You know, like the Schuylkill River is unique. The stretch that we row on is only for rowing. So no other motorboats are allowed. You're there with hundreds of other rowers who have the same passion for, for the, the sport that you love. And you try to learn from other coaches. So I, I feel it's a unique part of Philadelphia. And I really enjoy every single day being out on the water, coming back from practice, seeing the art museum and the skyline and sometimes the sunrise. That's an office you can't beat. Final question, what's the favorite part of what you do? My favorite part is is to make a better rower and a, a better person. And I use rowing as a tool for that. Rowing has taught me so many things and so many life lessons. And, and uh, you know, it's, it's not just a physical part where you have to push yourself, uh, but it's, it's, it's becoming a better person, taking care of yourself, just a whole whole range of things that like make in my view life more pleasant and that's what i would like to have for my students as well they come down you know they have a tough tough life at a college with like a lot of study hours classes finals and then on top of that they train you know six to eight times sometimes more a week so things get compromised like sleep or, or sometimes they can't eat at the right times that they want to. Maybe they see family less than they want to. And have a done line, they have a passion for the sport. And, and I want to teach them lessons that they can use later in life. And just to finalize, say, with a, a great example, in my first year coaching at Harvard, and I was going from like um, the airport to the hotel, and I was sitting in a van with other rowers. And one rower sat next to me and he was a senior. He was a walk-on. So he just started rowing in college. So I said, okay, so you're a senior. What are your goals? And he said, what do you mean? I said, well, you know, like, what do you want to achieve in your last season as a rower? So he thought about it. I ran into him uh, around graduation and he said, thank you for that conversation. 
um, because it definitely made a huge difference in, in my last season. And then a year later, I ran into him as well. And he said, thank you again, because now in the real life, uh, say with my job and all things like that, I applied the same same things as you you mentioned in my for my last season, and that also made a big difference. And that for me is why I coach. It's not about the wins. Sure, that's great. It's it's medals, you know, always a fun part. But it's the journey to it. You know, like what do you really gain from it? Uh, what you're doing. And, and for me, that's that's gets me up every single day to to coach my athletes. Nikhil Bartman, thanks so much. This was a lot of fun. All right. Thank you so much for having me. And that will do it for this week's episode. Want to thank Thomas Jefferson University head women's rowing coach Mikhail Bartman for being our guest this week. If you like this show and you listen on Apple Podcasts, want to help us out, leave us a rating and a review. You can follow the show on Twitter at one on one pod. You can follow me on Twitter as well at Matt Leon 1060. Thanks so much for listening and be sure to check us out again next time when we bring you another conversation with someone you should know more about.